Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're very happy to have our brother Don tell us, and at this time we're going to turn our Bible Instruction Time over to him. Brother Don, please. Good morning. You know, there's a misconception that uh, believers kind of put up with things and get kicked around a little bit and really don't lead very good lives. They're just kind of waiting for the bliss of heaven. But we just sang something differently, didn't we? I'm living on the mountain, <laughs> and I'm drinking from the fountain, and then there's the manna. So, you know, it's really the best life. I'm old enough now to really tell you that's true. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. These verses, I hope, will complement the ones that Tyler read earlier. The big challenge now for me is wear the glasses or not wear the glasses. Since I've had the surgery, I can see close up with one eye and distance with the other. And if I can get them to focus, I'm going to go for it without glasses this morning. Romans chapter number 5. For when we were still, starting at verse 6. Romans chapter number 5, we'll start reading at verse number 6. For when we were still without strength, In due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. If you haven't guessed, I would like this morning to talk about this doctrine called Reconciliation. When we think about reconciliation, we have to think about a number of things. First of all, the difference between how God sees man and man sees man. The difference between how God sees man and man sees man. What does man see? Well, he sees man's personality, he sees man's disposition. Some are very kind, considerate, gracious, helpful. Then there are others who are cruel, self-centered, and they're just plain difficult. Some folks are shy, introverted, soft-spoken, timid. Then there are other folks who are bold, extroverted, loud-spoken maybe even verbose. The world often declares that man is essentially good and will eventually do the right thing. Having taken a few courses in psychology and sociology, that's the theme, usually, that's proclaimed. A man is essentially good, and he'll do the right thing. They're probably still preaching that gospel, in universities and colleges even today, I suppose. But that begs the question, and that question is simply this. If man is essentially good, if man will always do the right thing, then 
Why is there so much famine and unrest in the world? Why is there so much fighting, bloodshed, devastation in the world? Think of this situation in Ukraine. Every time I see this on the television, I'm just so moved when this evil man actually singles out apartment buildings and hospitals and children and women, people who are simply victims of his evil doing. Isn't man just good? Could we just call Mr. Putin and say, hey, buddy, straighten up. I know you're good, just like everybody else. Why is there so much political fighting in large companies and corporations? Men clawing to get to the top, climbing the corporate ladder. A lot of big-time politics takes place in a large organization. Then about how about our situation there in Washington? Why so much animosity and gridlock? What does it take days to elect a speaker of the House? Why in the world is that true? Man is just good. Can't the guys just all huddle together and say, hey, we want to look out for each other's best interests. Let's just kind of try to get along. Well, you know, the scriptures really has the answer, don't they? And I think one of the places where the answer is proclaimed so succinctly <laughs> is by Jeremiah. You see, it's the heart of man. God looks past man's personality. And he delves right into the recesses of the heart of man. And Jeremiah nailed it on the head when he wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? And then he goes on to explain who it is that can know the heart. He writes, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So that's... The heart of man. Now let's just compare the heart of man to the nature of Almighty God. One of the places where that, I think, gives a, a really clear explanation about God and his nature is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. Here's what Isaiah writes. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Are you ready for this? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole Earth is full of his glory. My, imagine that. Now, think about the heart of man, deceitful, desperately wicked. The nature of Almighty God, holy, 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 the whole world is full of his glory. This creates a huge dilemma, and the dilemma is simply this. The heart of man is out of sync with the nature of God. So what's the answer? Well, the solution is reconciliation. Reconciliation. By definition, it's this to cause to conform to a standard, to be adjusted to a specific standard. 
There are a number of illustrations we could use to illustrate that. Um, I've thought of a number of them. Uh, some of you remember back in the good old days before computers, and you could look right online and find out exactly what's going on with your bank statement. We used to go through series of bank reconciliations. Remember those days? When I was a consultant, we did about 30 or 40 of those a month. And uh, the reason that we had to do that, of course, is because there were two sets of books. There were the bank's sets of books, and there were the person or the business's sets of books. The bank knew things that the we didn't know, and we knew some things the bank didn't know. The bank may have had some certain uh, adjustments that they made, maybe fees. We had written some checks the bank had no clue because they hadn't cleared yet. So we had to come together, and we made an assumption that the bank was the right voice. Now, during those years of doing all that, we only caught the bank one time, just one time. I couldn't believe it. And we spent hours making sure before we contacted the bank that we were absolutely right. Bank reconciliation, trying to get my books to square with the bank. Now, I, we were in a Bible study, and the word reconciliation came up, and I began using that illustration. And the young people looked at me and said, what's a bank reconciliation? See, they can go right online. Interestingly enough, when I was teaching in Edgewater High School, I taught bookkeeping accounting, basic accounting. And uh, we had what they call parents' night. Do they still do that in school today? Billy says, yeah, they still do it. What happens is, they still let Bob when you were teaching? They had the sessions where you had, what, 10, 15 minutes where the parents went through the student's schedule. And it gave the teacher an opportunity to tell the parents what wonderful things we were going to teach them during that time. And one of the things that I said, I thought maybe I might get their attention. I said, you know, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to teach your students how to do a bank reconciliation. And afterwards, some of the parents would come up to me and say, you know, I'm glad to hear that because I struggle with bank reconciliation. And I'd really like to know that my son or daughter can do a bank reconciliation. Interestingly enough, as a sideline, one of the parents happened to be the father of my psychology instructor when I was taking lessons at Rollins College when I was here stationed in the Air Force. And uh, I looked at him, I thought, oh my goodness, I think I know that guy. Later on, interestingly, his daughter came back and says, you know, my dad said, you got a B in psychology, but if you had worked a little harder, you'd probably gotten an A, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Small world, isn't it, really? Well, let's use one more illustration that the young people can relate to. Let's suppose that I'm getting older and I want to make sure I know what my birth date is. Absolutely want to know what my birth date is. So I have three devices. I have a laptop computer, I have a desktop computer, and I have a phone. And so I just say, you know what? I'm going to enter my birth date on each one of those devices. So we're along the line. I enter in my... Um, laptop computer, November 15th. I enter into my laptop, November 16th, and in my phone, I enter November 17th. Now we got a problem. If I'm concerned about my birthday, I want to know when in the world I was born. If I go to one device, I'm going to get one answer and the other something else. So what do I do? I go to my birth certificate, and I look in there and say, oh my goodness, the guy was born on November 17th. 
So I come to find out that my phone is absolutely right. He, the phone is the standard now. That's the standard. Now those other two devices have to what? They have to sync. Right, Andy? Well, you got to sync them. you got to put them together. Because I was born on November 17th, and now if I'm ever wondering about when I was born, I can go to any one of those devices, and I know for absolutely certain that I was born on November 17th. I'm now in sync. All these things are in sync. Now, here's the good news. Here's the really good news. We can be reconciled to God by the death of his son. We can be reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, the world is out of balance with God's standard. We were ungodly. Scripture says Christ died for the ungodly. We did not conform to God's standards. It's kind of like people who come to this country never learning the language, maybe not wanting to obey the laws. They never melt into the melting pot. They're out of sync with society. Then we were without strength. We knew what God expected, but we were unable to perform and to meet his standards. It reminds me of a football team who's maybe inside the five-yard line. It's first and goal to go, and they run a play, and they're stopped in their tracks. Second down, they run another play, stopped in their tracks. Third down, they run a play. Now what do you do? It's fourth down. Well, let's try it again. And they run another play, and they're stopped right at the goal line. You know what the problem is? The defense was stronger than the offense. They wanted to knew what to do. They planned what to do, but they were unable because they were not strong enough to do it. Then the other problem we have is that we were sinners. The scripture says, well, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. See, it's not only the nature that controls us, but it's the products of that sin nature. We practice sin. We committed acts of ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, reflecting back on my days in in school, I remember when I went back to finish up, I had to take uh, History 101, American History 101, because I hadn't taken it before, and I enjoyed that course. As a matter of fact, it was taught by a associate professor from the University of Michigan who came over, and he was an excellent teacher. In fact, it was one of my favorite courses. And we were talking about, uh, you know, how it is when you get into these sociology and history uh, courses. They want to talk about social justice and all those sorts of things. Bob's smiling because he's attended some of those courses, and he knows what I'm talking about. And we were talking about crime, and what causes crime? What causes crime? What causes people to commit crime? And, of course, I suggested to him, and, he, and I have to give this guy credit. You could converse with him and argue with him, and he wouldn't reflect it in your grade. He was just a really cool guy. <laughs> he had some problems, of course, and that he said to me, you know, it's all one's environment. You take Johnny out of the ghetto, and he won't sin anymore. You believe in that? Take Johnny out of the ghetto, and he won't sin anymore. And, of course, what I said to him, well, you know, I know I've heard of some guys who are well-educated, live in really nice homes, have some really nice backgrounds, and they commit fraud. We call those white-collar crimes. They're not in the ghetto. They're in some of the best of circumstances. And yet they're like Bernie Madoff, who absconded with a bunch of people's money. 
So that's not the answer. Well, I don't know if I ever won the argument. Probably not. He was a really bright guy. But here, James really makes it simple. James makes it so simple. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, what? To him, it is sin. There you go. Pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) Think about that. Therefore, to him who knows to do good, does not do it, to him it is sin. And we were objects of divine wrath. We shall be saved from the wrath, the scriptures tells us, through him. And why objects of wrath? Why wrath, the wrath of God? Well, it's because we're enemies of God. We had problems, our ungodliness, our ignorance, our weakness, our sin, and its natural products of our nature. These things all translated into outward acts of warfare and rebellion against God. And there's only one solution, and that is reconciliation. Now, here's the thing that we have to consider. First of all, God himself is the standard for reconciliation. He didn't set up an outside source or standard from which he is detached and then say, you go and meet that standard. It reminds me of a father, for instance, who will say to his son, I don't want want to catch you smoking as he lights up a cigarette. Think about that. I don't want to catch you smoking Well, he lights up a cigarette. Do as I say, not what I do. But you see, Almighty God can say and do. He has that absolute righteous standard. And James goes to describe him in an interesting way. He writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. He never says one thing one day and does something another. Or shadow of turning, he changes not. What a standard, what a standard. God is holy, he's righteous, he's just. And his standards are characterized by precision, majesty, beauty. We see that order in nature. You don't have to be well-informed or educated to figure it out. The psalmist said, just all you got to do is look in the heavens. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So you can see the beauty and the majesty in the heavens of this almighty God, to whom we must be reconciled. And then what about his character? Well, the psalmist has something to say about that too. He says, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. So we see beauty and majesty and righteousness. We see that in the rotation of the heavenly bodies, the placement of the stars. When I was in the Air Force, I talked to a captain who was a navigator on a bomber. And he told me, he says, you know, he says, you wouldn't believe how accurate the stars are, how we can actually navigate simply looking out at the stars. We think about travel inside and outside of the earth. Talk about that space window. Some of you may remember Brother Ron Lander. I don't know if any of you ever met Brother. What a lovely brother. He's with the Lord now. But back in those days, he was a part of the Apollo mission. He sat at the at the center there, and uh, he knew exactly what was going on. And I asked him, well, how can you figure out when you can launch and when you can't launch? And he tried to explain to me all this business about the space window when you could actually leave Earth's surfaces and 
come back and he says, it's very precise and we can figure it out exactly because that's the way the heavens were designed. You know, the people who believe that something went bang and everything just kind of helped in precise place are probably the greatest people of faith on planet Earth, aren't they? I mean, you have got to have a stretch of faith to believe that boom, and now you can navigate by the stars. Or you can find a space window and come outside and inside of work. Bob's an engineer. He'll tell you about the precision of things in regard to the automobile industry. Very precise things. Mathematics. What a precise uh, discipline that is. Bailey and I were talking about that, and Billy said, what about seven booms? Hmm? Let there be light. Boom. Wow. That must have been a big one, don't you think? They're on and on, right? Seven days of bang. Boom, boom. God spoke. Whoa. And then it happened. Now this reconciliation is to the whole world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The world was not reconciled to God, or the world rather was reconciled to God, not the reverse. He is the standard. And the world, of course, would refer to those who were inhabitants of that world, those who were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies, and subject to wrath. Now, this does not mean that all men are saved or will be saved. It does not mean that all men are saved or will be saved. John makes that clear. This is what he writes. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ laid the foundation, the basis, the means upon which and by which God may reach out to sinners and bring them to himself. Reconciliation. The relationship of God and man is one in which man is at war with God. Why? Because of Adam's sin. No more face-to-face fellowship because once Adam ate of that fruit, a war began. He was no longer in sync with God. They were no longer on the same page, as we often say. But Christ, by his death, as he did back in the Garden of Eden, made a covering over for the sins of the world. We read, he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction of divine justice for the whole world. And because of the death of Christ, the whole world was rendered savable. Now that goes down to reconciliation to the individual. God's face is now toward the world. For God so loved what? The world. His face is toward the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the individuals, the inhabitants of the world, have turned their backs on Christ. Remember how Isaiah expressed it in his 53rd chapter? All we like sheep and what? gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The reconciliation is through Christ 
and Christ alone, not some cleric, but through Christ. There is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. We were reconciled by blood. The writer of Romans writes, But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation or the atonement. The word translated atonement, the same word that's used as the high priest went into the holiest of all with the blood of the animal and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And God was propitiated and some fellowship was restored. Remember God said to Moses, there I will meet with you and will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are in the ark of the testimony. So the Israelites could now have some communion with Almighty God because of the sprinkling of the blood on that mercy seat. The reconciliation is also based on Christ's identification with sinners because he took their place, our place, on the cross. A substitutionary sacrifice to bring about reconciliation. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ made sin, not the sinner. Christ made sin, not the sinner. Now Christ's death accomplished a great change. A change for the entire world, making it now savable. He is a propitiation for not all, only our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. A change for the individual believer. He is a propitiation for what? Our sins. It gets very personal. And to experience this change, the sacrifice must be received. And John writes, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Reconciliation now is taking place. Now we conclude with the message of reconciliation. We read and we've read, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Notice that message was not committed to angels. Angels are not suited as we are to bear the message of reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled to God are best suited to share the message of reconciliation. Remember, Paul expresses that role that we have in a little different way. When we think of uh, this sort of thing, we sometimes think of big crusades and evangelists and all that sort of thing, and certainly that's all part of it. But here's something that I think we can all kind of sink our teeth into, because he says, now that we are ambassadors... Wow, think about that. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be ye reconciled to God. 
Now, what about an ambassador? Well, an ambassador actually is a personal representative of the president of the United States to whatever country he has sent. Now, according to the Constitution, he has to have the consent of Senate. But I also noticed, I was reading recently, that about a third of the ambassadors are never even brought before Congress. There's so many of them, and Congress is too busy, probably busy fighting, but they're too busy to consent to all of the ambassadorships. Some of them are because of result of political favors, as you well know. But they represent the president to that respective country. And we indeed are personal representatives of our Heavenly Father to share the message of reconciliation. Get yourself in sync with Almighty God. Be on the same page as Almighty God. Allow through faith to be accepted in the Beloved. And as was mentioned earlier, God sees my Savior. And then he sees the reconciled believer. He sees me. And it's a pretty simple message, isn't it? You think about it. Sometimes you don't have to say a word. Ambassadors sometimes go and they have to be worry about their behavior. Some wayward ambassador's child can bring a lot of dishonor to an ambassadorship or to the country whom they represented. They have to behave themselves when they're in those countries, and so should we. But the message is simple. Paul says, here's mine. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What's next? He was buried. Then what happened? He rose again. How did he do it? The way the Old Testament prophets said he would do it, and exactly the way the Old Testament prophets said he would do it, according to the way Isaiah said in his 53rd chapter. He did exactly as Isaiah had said, according to the scripture, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting So as I look about this morning, I see we are numbered among the people of God, and I simply encourage you to consider that you really are an ambassador to Christ because you have been reconciled. You now have the message of reconciliation. Isn't it nice? Isn't it nice to be a reconciled sinner saved by grace and given an amazing responsibility and ambassadorship to the one who sends us? Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for this real important and blessed truth of reconciliation. We recognize, Father, that we were sinners, but we also rejoice in the fact that we have been reconciled and we are sinners saved by grace, by grace through faith. And we have now become accepted in the beloved, and we are in sync with the God of the universe. We pray, Father, that you help us to conduct ourselves as ambassadors for him. We pray, Father, these thoughts that are shared might be a blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.